the Blaze Radio Network. On demand, Glenn Beck. Well, you can take this to the bank. Obamacare will eventually get repealed, but it will not be the GOP leading the charge. It is going to be the Democrats. At this point, I don't think the left ever really intended for the Affordable Care Act to actually live up to his name. That's what we said at the beginning. This is destined to fail in catastrophic, uh, in catastrophic form. Ten years ago, Americans with employer-provided health care had an average deductible of about $300. Oh, how far we have fallen because of Obamacare. The average deductible now is four times what they were before Obama. A decade ago to today, it's now $1,400 in deductibles. 300 to 1400 That's a 212% increase. Deductibles are growing at a rate eight times faster than wage growth, 12 times faster than inflation. And these are not my numbers. They didn't come from the Heritage Foundation or the Cato Institute. This is from the annual report from the Kaiser Family Foundation. And by the way, did I mention they're based, you know, behind the progressive iron curtain of California? Did I also mention that Kaiser helped spin the left's talking points when the Democrats were trying to pass the Affordable uh, Care Act and tell us that, oh, no, this is going to be fantastic for everybody? Yesterday, President Trump wrote an op-ed in USA Today titled, Democrats' Medicare for All Plan Will Demolish Promises to Seniors. He goes on to explain how the plan would cost an insane insane 32.6 trillion dollars during the first 10 years. The president continued by slamming the left's open border policies and calling out their socialist policies. USA Today's tweet pointing out the Trump op-ed read, quote, Democrats want to outlaw private health care plans, taking away freedom to choose plans while letting anyone cross the border. We must win this, end quote. Well, apparently, shockingly, Jim Acosta from CNN took major beef with this. He fired back both at the president and USA Today with a little tweet of his own. Quote, this column may break the record for the number of falsehoods from a president ever published in a newspaper op-ed. Just this tweet alone is false. Outlaw private health care plans? Letting anyone cross our border? Huh? Fact check. False and false. Come on, USA Today. Now, <clears throat> I know I shouldn't expect journalists these days to, to do any kind of actual journalism. I mean, that's so old-timey. Remember when they actually didn't lie to us? It's kind of funny. Actually, it's really sad that it's painfully obvious that journalists like Acosta haven't even read the left's proposal on Medicare for all. It's H.R. 676. It has 123 Democratic co-sponsors. That's more than half of the House Democrats. And it reads, and I quote, 
it shall be unlawful for a private health insurer to sell health insurance coverage that duplicates the benefits provided under this act. End quote. CNN, how is the president lying? You see, you didn't point out that the president was lying when the president said you're going to be able to keep your doctor. You're going to be able to uh, get a refund. In fact, you're going to save all kinds of money. You wouldn't do the math on that. It was simple math, but it required you to tell the truth about the bill. Now, now you are denying that the Democrats want to stop all private health care. It's in their bill. How low can you guys go? How much water can you carry before it snaps your back? How much can you ignore? The replacement for Obamacare is coming, and it is so radical that the left-leaning media can't even see it anymore. The Affordable Care Act was a setup. We told you it was. If the left takes full control in 2020, you will finally see America, the new America that we have been progressing toward the entire time. It's Thursday. October 11th. This is the Glenbeck program. Let me let me let me let me give you some good news. May I give you some good news? You sure can. There is a new study out. They spoke to 8,000 people. Uh, they also did 31-hour interviews, six focus groups, and it was uh, conducted between December 8, uh, 2017 and September 2018. And Here's what they here's what they were looking for. Want to find out about how Americans feel about white privilege, uh, sexual harassment, um, you know, all of the PC stuff, the Me Too witch hunt. They said there are seven distinct clusters now in America, progressive activists, traditional liberals, passive liberals, politically disengaged, moderates traditional conservatives, and devoted conservatives. Now, according to the report, 25% of Americans are traditional or devoted conservatives. 25%. Whoa, wow, that's really low. Well, only 8% of Americans are progressive activists. Excuse me? Their views are even more out of the mainstream and are less typical. Two-thirds of Americans do not belong in either extreme extreme progressivism as progressive activists or as traditional devoted conservatives. The vast majority is now considered something called the exhausted majority. The members of this two-thirds of our society share a sense of fatigue with our polarized national conversation, a willingness to be flexible in their political viewpoints, and 
have a lack of voice in the national conversation. Most members of the exhausted majority dislike political correctness. Among the general population, 80% believe that political correctness is a problem in our country. Even young people are uncomfortable with it. 74% ages 24 to 29 and 79% under the age of 24 think this is a problem. The woke are in the extreme minority in this country. Youth not supporting political correctness. And they're not supporting the race thing either. Whites are ever so slightly less than average to believe political correctness is a problem in the country. Whites. 79% share this sentiment. Instead, Asians, 82%. Hispanics, 87%. Native Americans, 88%. One of the, uh, one of the uh, focus group members, an American Indian, said, it seems like every day you wake up and something's changed. Do I say Jew or Jewish? Is it a black guy or an African American? You're on your toes because you never know what to say. Political correctness in this country is becoming frightening. Hmm. That was a Native American, you know, as those whites, which are the least offended, as those whites are standing up to protect the helpless Native American. I think that's the thing that gets me the most are the people who are not. It's, it's almost like, how did you get into this conversation? How are you a part of this conversation? You're not. You're not the one that is the redskin. How are you standing up and telling Native Americans how they're supposed to feel when they don't feel that way in poll after poll after poll? One part of the standard narrative of the data partially affirmed is that African Americans are most likely to support political correctness, but the difference between them and other groups is much smaller than generally supposed. Three quarters of African Americans oppose political correctness. Three quarters. This means there are only four percentage points less likely than whites and only five percentage points less likely than the average to believe that political correctness is a real problem in America. While 83% of respondents make, uh, uh, who make less than $50,000 dislike political correctness, 70% of those who make more than 100000 are skeptical. Hmm. You want to know why Trump won? You want to know why Cory Booker and all of this nonsense is not going to win? I, I, you know, yesterday, yesterday we had a call from a, a, a listener, and... I I was not my best self, and I jumped down his throat, and I should have said, what is making you feel this way? I know what's making him feel this way. Portland is making him feel this way. 
the guy who yesterday we found out is building a 200 or built a 200 pound bomb and was going to detonate it on the National Mall on Election Day. That's what's making him feel this way. The news reports where they are saying mobs. No, this is just petitioning your government is making you feel this way. Getting up every morning and saying, okay, can I, do I say Jew or Jewish today? Which do I say? Can I say transgendered? Or, or what, what exactly do I say? When they are trampling RuPaul for not being politically correct on transgender <laughs> issues, you got problems. That is why Cory Booker and Heidi Heitkamp and all of the others are not going to win. It is why they are wildly out of step it is why you're winning it's why kavanaugh is a supreme court justice today and i want to just keep hammering this home every day the left is not going crazy because they're winning the left did you see what uh um attorney general what's his name uh, Eric Holder. Eric Holder said yesterday. Mm, yeah, we had the audio. I think of that. Can we play the audio if we have that? L- listen to what Eric Holder is now saying. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. Michelle always says, Michelle Obama, I love her. You know, <coughs> she and my wife like really tight, um, which always scares me and Barack. <laughs> but Michelle always says that you know when they go low, we go high. No, no. When they go low, we kick them. Stop. Uh, This is what happens to a country that has lost its underpinnings of the Judeo-Christian world. When they go low, we kick them. Yesterday, Hillary Clinton was all in the news for saying what? We can't live in a country like this. We can't live. We we cannot... We the time for civility is uh, is past, basically. After we win elections, then we can be civil. We can't be civil with these people. Mm-hmm. What was the other quote that uh, he went on to say yesterday because it involved these people? Um, where he said, I wanted to see if I can find... Oh, shoot, I don't have it. Um, the, the Eric Holder thing? Yeah, the Eric Holder, where he said these people. Um, he said, use rage to vote to be rid of these people. Yeah, use rage to be rid of these people. Well, let me flip this around. What do you mean by these people, Mr. Holder? Because these people, we've learned, is, of course, racist. We know what you, That's a dog whistle. That's an Eric Holder dog whistle. And everybody knows what they're saying. Look, I understand why we're angry because I'm angry. I'm angry every day. I look at the news and I, I'm they're going to get people killed. They're going to get people killed. And when people, as I said, in 2009, at some point, They're going to drag people out of their chairs in their studios and beat them to death in the streets. When these people who are dismissing and encouraging these people to be uh, violent, when that is happening, a lot of people are going to say, well, they deserve it. No, no. 
We cannot become what they are. We have to hold on to what we've always been. But boy, it is tough. But I will tell you, if we lose our minds, we'll lose. Because as I showed you in that poll, 80% of people are on our side. Now, that doesn't mean politically. That means they're tired of this. They're tired of the political correctness. They're tired of being told what to think, what to say, what to do, who to reject, what to post, what not to post. They're tired of it. 80%. Keep your cool and you win. Simply Safe Home Security is uh, something that you might want to consider. You know, seeing that you have a former attorney general saying <laughs> we have to kick them when they're down. Uh, Simply Safe Home Security, great security uh, system. And right now you can get a, um, a really good deal on it. When you go to simplysafebeck.com, I want you to go there. I want you to look at how much money you're going to save. They have this this great chart. Have you been there? Have you been to the website? Uh, not in a while. Yeah. Um, look at it. They've got this, this, this chart that shows you how much money you're saving because you actually own the system, so you're not renting it from somebody for five years. It's really affordable. And then for fourteen ninety nine a month with no contract, you can get out any time. You just call them up and say, I don't want to have the monthly monitoring this, uh, this month. Um, you're going to save even more. What are you paying now for a wired, old-fashioned, old-timey, hey, look, we used to be in the horse and buggy business. Now we're doing your alarm system. We'll call that sheriff for you if there's a problem. How about you get Simply Safe? It is today's technology. Simply Safe. You'll get 10% off right now off the system at simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com for your home or your office. It is simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. Michelle always says, Michelle Obama, I love her, you know. This is Eric She and my Holder. wife, like, really tight, um, which always scares me and Barack. <laughs> but Michelle always says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No. No. When no. they go low, we kick them. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. When's the last time you heard that? That's what the new Democratic Party is about. That's what the new Democratic Party is all about. Democrats, is that who you are? Is that who you are? Is that what you want? They are encouraging people to be violent. He is encouraging people, let's just say, not to be violent, but to fight dirty and in the streets. America, is this what we want? Is it just about the win at all costs? I I hope I know the answer to that. I hope I know the answer to that. But I just want you to remember one thing. If you are somebody who has been looking for an end to this madness of political correctness, 
this madness of you're a racist, you're a homophobe, 80% of the nation agrees with you. Now is the time to be reasonable, filled with common sense, and welcome people back into the fold. There is a concerted effort outside of our country to get us to fight with one another. Remember the story that we told you about uh, about a week or two ago of uh, the the feminist activist that was on the subway and she was pouring. I think they said it was bleach uh, on all those who were, you know, man spreading. And we're like, look at this. This is crazy. Well, we find out now that that actually is Russian propaganda. That never happened. That was filmed by the Russians and put into our system as a poison to get us to hate feminists more. Say, look it out exactly what we did. We're going to take you to a story I, I thought was a joke. I thought was a joke. Where have the Russians gone? How deeply are they into our into our consciousness what will they actually do is it all about politics stephen kent friend of the uh, uh program and uh and quite honestly a i mean probably the biggest star wars geek on the planet welcome to the program stephen how are you doing well glenn good morning um tell me this is a joke <laughs> it's not a joke um there is a study out um, from Morton Bay at the University of Southern California that looks at the role that online bots, particularly the Russian persuasion, might have played in the discourse on social media surrounding The Last Jedi. Now, that wait, wait, sound- wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So you just kind of ran by surrounding The Last Jedi. <laughs> the movie yeah, the last jedi nice oh, yeah. low-hanging target being a star wars movie what do people care about more than politics i would say that it's probably the light side versus the dark side and the eternal struggle in a galaxy far far away <laughs> you know you know you've mentioned glenn like they prey on these very emotional um, and personal issues on social media it's not just about politics and hillary clinton and donald trump it can be about kneeling the national anthem it can be about something that a celebrity might have said then it's amplified and sort of turned up to 11 so that people get really heated about it. Star Wars is in that category, too, and there might be some evidence to show that this is actually happening every day. Give me the evidence. This is incredible. Yeah, so it's it's circumstantial in many ways, but that's by nature of what we're dealing with here. When you're talking about foreign influence and particularly malicious activity coming from Russian bots or trolls or sock puppet accounts, you are talking about uh, a moving target, people who are deleting their accounts, changing their information, making new accounts, staying active so that they can't actually be tracked to a given location. And if Morton Bay, the researcher at USC, could prove definitively that these are Russian agents, then he should be working at the CIA. But he's not. He's just a researcher at USC. And what you look at is you look at the characteristics of 
social media accounts online, kind of what do I what I just mentioned is what behaviors do they engage in? Do they speak in all caps? What words do they use? And then is their account there the next week when you look them up again? These are sort of things that you look for when you're talking about foreign influence online. And it might be Russians, it might be the Chinese, it might be Iranians, or it might be some Floridian with a bone to pick with the rest of the country. So, you know, but that's so that's what did they plant? What did they plant into our society? Well, in this case, what they planted, um, there was evidence that there were 16 accounts that could specifically be Russian linked, 105 that sort of had a question mark as to where they could be originating from that are jumping online when The Last Jedi comes out and people are starting to debate about the movie. And then they start throwing in the tweets about the feminazi Admiral, <laughs> Admiral Holdo. And then they start throwing in tweets about how uh, masculinity is under assault because Poe Dameron wasn't able to lead the ship. And then they start mm. throwing in tweets about SJW droids and the fact that there was a droid in the hospital. I remember Bowl. those. Yeah. And, and so, and, but the important thing, Glenn, is that that comes from real people too. And you can't really distinguish what comes first, like the chicken or the egg. Did the, did the Russian, you know, bot or troll online plant the thought in a conservative or, you know, activist or Star Wars fan online, and then they sort of echo it? Or did it go the other way around? Um, because it is reasonable to look at Star Wars and see some sort of like, you know, progressive fingers in the pot. But there's also this discourse online that happens where you sort of amplify other opinions that you see. You see someone upset about the feminazis now taking over Star Wars, Kathleen Kennedy or, you know, the, the, the Asian girl in the new Star Wars movie. And if you get amplified about that and feel like, oh, well, someone else is angry about that, too. I can now feel a little bit more angry. Then the, the discourse just rapidly um, gets more radical. And it's pretty reasonable to think that there are foreign actors who engage in this malicious activity. It's, it, Stephen, it's, it's interesting, I think, and this is part of the crime against journalism that's happened, making mm. every effort of what Russia has tried to do in America about Donald Trump. You know, yeah. it's like, look at the look at the scope of this. The fact that they are trying to go in there and stir people up over Star not just Wars. politics, but culture and, yeah. and, and Star Wars and, and all of these kind of separate things, Kaepernick, all of this stuff. And not just separating us, Stu. I think also a pl- um, pushing us into a place. I hear this all the time. I know I am like this. When, when did everything become political? They're pushing Everything, yeah. all pop culture, everything into politics. Yeah, there's a great book out right now called Addicted to Outrage by Glenn Beck. <laughs> towards, the, towards the end of part one, and at least in the audiobook, it's chapter 19, they're talking uh, a lot about the role that foreign actors and particularly Russians might play in trying to sow discord. And what we do know about Russians that were able to do in the 2016 election, we don't know if they actually were able to uh, impact the results and how people voted. But we are able to determine that they they get their fingers into the way that we talk. Um, And what's most important, I think, about American politics and culture is not that we are able to agree on everything political, but that we're actually able to go to a movie theater and sit next to our neighbors in the dark and smile at a Star Wars movie. But then when you go in and you've sort of been reading these things online and you've had people tell you that now it's like liberal propaganda and that it's not the Star Wars you grew up with, then you can't even do that. And think about what that does to a culture, not in the course of one year 
year, but in the course of 10 years, we have, we'll, we'll have nothing in common if we allow people to manipulate us like this and get us hooked on outrage on a constant basis about anything, whether it's politics or media. Stephen, uh, thank you for um, writing about this. This is in the Washington Examiner. Thank you for watch, uh, 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 writing about this. Is it is it because it was Star Wars that this popped up on your radar, or why is it that no one else is is catching this, Stephen? Well, I would say that there was a pretty good deal of writing done about this. And for me, I did catch this because I've got Google alerts set up for Star Wars and I care a lot about it. But, you know, I I live in Star Wars Twitter as well as conservative and libertarian Twitter. You know, these are kind of different ecosystems. And the dialogue in Star Wars Twitter is is toxic. It was so mean when these movies came out, particularly around Solo and The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi really sort of agitated right wing Twitter. And Solo really uh, agitated left-wing Twitter. Everybody was arguing about these different things and just using language that you just don't see or you didn't see a couple of years ago in Star Wars. And then you turn on your favorite conservative podcast, right? And I have a couple. And they're sort of then echoing those sentiments. And then their actual fans are going out and engaging in Star Wars discourse but there's, it's not really clear like who is genuine and who is not and who's coming to it as a really interested fan and who's coming to it as a political activist who just really wants to make people angry. And that's what we have to remember when we get online is there is no guarantee that the person, even if they have a real name and a photo associated with their account, is a genuine human being who wants you to leave this conversation happy. I don't know if you've ever won an argument on Twitter. I have not. Um, but it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of a foreign city. You need to be getting off the airplane in this new city and just assume that you're not safe anywhere you go and you should just talk to people that you know and that you trust. Stephen, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, Glenn, real pleasure. May the force be with you both. (laughs) Stephen Kent. He's got a great sense of humor. He has a, he's really a smart guy. You listen to his uh, podcast, uh, follow him at Twitter. What's his What's his Twitter handle? Uh, it's got to be like Yoda kicks ass. I think it is Yoda's mouth. <laughs> I lost it. Uh, here, here we go. It's uh, at uh, Stephen uh, underscore Kent eighty nine. Yeah, follow him. He's uh, he's he's a smart smart guy. All right, our sponsor this half hour is Filter by Filter by. Why should you change your filter? Right. Right? That's the argument I make to my wife all the time. That's Why right. should we change our filter? Right. We bought it with the house. We'll sell it with the house. Yeah. Uh, and, then the, uh, and then the repairman comes uh, because your air conditioning or your heating isn't working. And, and I start complaining. Like, Why is it so warm in here? What's the, what's the deal? It's not even working. This is stupid air conditioner. Technology sucks. And that's when the, the mechanic says, why didn't you change your air filter? And then I You're said, like, that's what I've, that's been, what I've been telling my wife uh, this well, whole time. Why, are we, why doesn't she change the yeah, air filters? <laughs> May I suggest you get filter by filter by filter filter by makes all of the filters here in America. So it's an American uh, company, American jobs, uh, and uh, they'll make them for any size. Turn it around 24 hours. You, you have the filter. So when you need a filter, here's the best part. You'll save five percent if you just, uh, you know, check the box. Yeah. You know what? Send this to me every time I'm supposed to change my filter. That way you don't even have to think about it. It just arrives at your door. You pop it in, throw the old one away, and you're done. 
filter by saves you time saves you money you breathe better and you don't have that uh weird conversation with the uh, mechanic when he comes out and is like when's the last time you changed this i gotta go in the other room (laughs) filter com. that's filter com. Have you been following the Khashoggi story? This is the this is the journalist, Washington Post journalist. He's a Saudi citizen who's just disappeared. He went into I think it was in Istanbul, uh, and he was going into the Saudi uh, embassy because he needed documentation that he was divorced from his wife because he was going to get remarried. So he goes to the Saudi embassy. Now, he is not an enemy of the Saudi crown prince, but he is a critic. And they were friends and everything else. Now he's a critic of the Saudi crown prince. And um, so he goes into the the Saudi embassy uh, there in Istanbul, and his fiance waits for him outside. She's in the car, and she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and he never comes out. When she calls and says, uh, where is, uh, you know, where's Kashagi? They say, I don't know. He left a long time ago. He, you know, he walked out. He was here. We got the paperwork and he left. She's like, no, I've been waiting outside. They say, we don't know what you're talking about. He left. CCD, CCTV cameras show him going in, but no one ever coming out. Now there's an update on this. Coincidentally. About an hour after he arrived, uh, some planes arrived from Saudi Arabia, their Saudi Arabian crown prince, royal, uh, royal planes. And these guys get off and they have suitcases. And they go in to the embassy. Now, did anybody ever see Alfred Hitchcock's rear window? If they had just left an hour later with those same suitcases and put them on the plane and then left, it might be a little weird, but what do you have? Unfortunately, what we do know now is they got off the plane and they were driving to the embassy and one of them stopped for extra empty suitcases and another one went shopping for a bone saw. Then they went to the embassy. An hour later, they're leaving with heavy suitcases. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't even know where you buy a bone saw. But if I'm getting off a plane with light suitcases, I buy a bone saw. I go to a house where a guy has been missing now. And then I leave with heavy suitcases and I fly out of the country on my own private jet under diplomatic immunity. I I don't know about you, but I think there's something suspicious going on there. We should call Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart because I think I saw something out of that window. (laughs) By the way, uh, plenty of bone saws on Amazon, so you should be fine. Really? Yeah, just just seriously. Well, they call them four. They call them butcher saws. Okay, but you should be fine. Don't worry about it. Amazon choice. Twenty two ninety nine. Cut right there. Now I understand that. Like if you're living in, you know, you're living in Colorado, mm-hmm. you're living in Idaho or something. You got to get a bone saw. I get that. If you're selling bone saws in Manhattan, <laughs> I think maybe <laughs> or to the Saudi embassy. Yeah, you like, they're not doing any butcher work. Right. In there, I don't right? think that they're going out and go. Let you know we're going to have venison tonight. <laughs> I don't think so. That's not a good. No, not a good sign. No, that's wow. That's frightening. I mean, yeah. that is like, you know, I mean that's. 
it's it's it's, it's like international yeah, incident. It's, it's level, movie yeah. stuff. Uh, by the way, we're going out on tour. We're coming to a city near you. Grab your tickets. Uh, Richmond, Virginia, Hershey, Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland, anywhere. See it all on glenbeck.com slash tour. Yes. Come to, uh, and if you don't, just saying I have a bone saw. I'm just saying. You have a. Buy the tickets or don't. Are you threatening the audience? No, I'm not. No, I'm thinking that we're going to have elk. (laughs) I have some Saudi friends with Uh lots of luggage. And a bone saw. And you're sure you're not making a threat against the of listeners? Of course of not. No. Actually, what we are doing, <laughs> we're we're helping the Democratic Party uh, at our Addicted to Outrage uh, tour. We're going to be giving them tips on things that they can do. And I'd like to take it a little further than Eric uh, Holder did. And that is, you know, if we go low, they kick us. When they kick us, we buy a bone saw. Right. I mean, there has been almost no Democratic 2020 candidates have even mentioned bone saws right, yet. Right. They have a long way to go in right. this campaign. So maybe that could be, you know, I, I don't know, Spartacus's campaign slogan. <laughs> Vote for Spartacus. I know where to buy a bone saw. <laughs> Just say. Buy your tickets now. Glenbeck.com slash tour. Glenn Beck. I am thrilled to have uh, and introduce you uh, to Helen Pluckrose. She is the editor-in-chief of Arrow Magazine. Uh, she has written an, an article uh, that I, w- I want to go through uh, with her. But she, I also want to point out that if you followed the news a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, uh, of these three scientists that came out and tried to publish papers that were complete nonsense of uh, the dog, the I think it was the rape culture in dog parks on dogs. And one of the you know responses before they published it was they did they get permission from the dogs? Uh, they were they were afraid that maybe they were violated a little. I mean, it's crazy what happened. They they published one uh, article uh, that was ju- they just took a, a, a chapter of Mein Kampf and I think changed it. What did they change it to? Stu, do you remember? Um, white people are feminine. I, I don't remember. Helen will remember. Uh, it's uh, pretty remarkable. We'll hopefully chat with her about that just a little bit. Uh, Helen Pluckrose joins the program now. Hello, Helen. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. Now, you're in, you're in London now? I am. Okay. Um, first of all, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about your essay, How French Intellectuals Ruined the West, Postmodernism and its impact explained. I, I read the article and uh, let, let's just say my audience is very smart. I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, so pretend you're talking to somebody that, you know, doesn't doesn't re- really know much about this uh, because you are talking to that person. Uh, and I'm trying to understand it. But postmodernism itself just doesn't make sense at all to me uh and so i want to make sure that that i i have it right and the audience uh understands it because i think it is the disease that is it's the cancer for the western world is it not uh well i i don't think it's it's the only cancer i i think it's certainly a, a problem that's uh, coming up in how we understand knowledge and how 
Um, we on, on the left are looking at ethics, and I think that's feeding into a, a rise on the other side of um, an increase in, in nationalism and um, anti-intellectualism and a, a kind of reversion to some uh, utopian uh, past which never existed. But uh, yes, it, it, is, it is a significant um, problem which has affected affected how we do how we decide what is true and and how we evaluate um rights and and people standing in society right and so this is the source of you know gender fluidity and uh and really intersectionality and all of this stuff that we're hearing that most people wake up every day and they're like okay what new term do i have to learn today uh what can i say what can i not say this is the source of that would you agree with that I would, yes. Intersectionality is, is very explicitly defined by its, its founder as contemporary politics applied to postmodern theory. Okay. So let's start at uh, uh, the beginning of postmodernism. Is it related at all to the Dadaist movement that grew out of the First World War where, where they were trying to make a point of nothing really has any meaning, uh, and then that kind of just went awry is 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 any of the roots in that movement at all uh, yes i mean po- postmodernism it's its antecedents which i don't actually go into in, in huge detail because they're just so varied but it comes out of, of a lot of counter enlightenment philosophy it comes out of um absurdist art it, it's a kind of coming together of of an artistic and um a philosophical movement and the artistic side of it is actually really fun. We, we don't have to worry at all about um, uh, postmodernism in art. It's when it starts being applied to society and we're starting to understand society as um, completely constructed in systems of power and knowledge is a construct of this power, that it comes from language, that language is dangerous because it constructs reality. That's, um, that's, that's sort of the key ideas which are underlying the, the problem that we're, that we're seeing now. Now, you say that it doesn't have a, that it's not anything worrisome in art, but I would consider literature art as well. And this is, this is now how we are being taught that we have to read literature, that uh, we read it through the lens of oppression, white, male, European oppression. Um, even if the even if the author is saying, no, no, that's not what the story is about. That's not the author is not even the the last word on this. It is the the postmodernist that can take and read that text any way they want. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think there there's a slight confusion because that approach to literature is part of the cultural philosophical problem. But a postmodern um, book for example, would be a very different thing. It would be something that had no clear plot, that didn't have um, an ending. There, there's one which, which is just the beginning of a lot of stories which, which doesn't add up. So, so that is a style. That is almost okay. completely separate from okay. the moralistic thing. All right, so you're saying as an artist, you could create something that has no meaning, um, but it is only when it's used as a critique that it starts to get into trouble? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. I mean, some, some wonderful, some, some very fun um, TV right. shows apparently are, are postmodern, but they're not political, so they're not the same problem. Great. Okay. Um, so tell me how it 
where it grew and and how it grabbed us by the throat or our university systems well the uh, the original postmodernists they were just sudden a, a small group of very very prolific writers in the late 60s in, including uh, jean-francois leotard jacques derrida uh, baudrillard um, and particularly michel foucault and they came together all from, from different disciplines and all seemingly at the same time uh, with the same message that they were disillusioned with the modern period, they were disillusioned with Marxism and they were disillusioned with religion and institutions and they, they thought that these were all meta-narratives, they were big comfortable understandings of things that had just fallen apart. This, this comes after the world wars, the, the fall of empire, all these sort of certainties were crumbling and um, there, there was a, a shift in society to try to understand are the things that we thought were true actually true the postmodernists are those who took this to a new philosophical level and simply said no this reality is not something we find it's something that we make and we make it in the service of power so it is powerful groups which have decided for us what is true and these are understood to be uh, white, heterosexual, rich men. And this should be overturned, it should be unpicked. But the first postmodernists were not, they, they didn't have a particular um, political goal. They were certainly leftist, but they weren't, they were, they were generally quite aimless. They wanted to sort of pull things apart, show problems with it. It wasn't until the late 80s and early 90s when a lot of um, feminists and uh, critical race theorists, queer theorists, etc., said, well, taking everything apart is, is all good and well. Yes, we need to deconstruct things. Yes, we need to see that everything is socially constructed. But we have to have some kind of reality if we're going to address anything. We cannot, for example, address um, a sexism against women unless we agree that women are a certain thing that experience certain things in certain times and places. So there was a change here to bring back some kind of objective reality and that was systems of privilege and power that could then be analysed but very subjectively from the perspective of experience and with the assumption that we are always looking at a power imbalance in any interaction between different groups. Okay, so can, let me let me uh, let me go back, and because I, I think people might be thinking, why are we talking about postmodernism? How does it relate to my life? This, I believe, is critical in uh, to if you don't understand this, or at least have a basic handle on it, you don't know what you're fighting. You don't know what's really happening. You don't know who's behind a lot of this or what the theories are behind it. Um, so let me let me first say postmodernism, the modern world is the world that uh, was created that chased out the dark ages. It was the it's the world created by the enlightenment of of science and reason and empiri- empirical uh, evidence. Uh, and and even I mean, when you hear people say mathematics is racist, this is because we're they're trying to deconstruct anything that holds the modern world together. Is that correct? Yes, they they think that it has been constructed unfairly, that a lot of voices have been left out, and this relates somehow to a lot of knowledges. I, I particularly have a problem with the idea that um, irrational and unempirical um, 
knowledge is, is the, the property of women or um, uh, the non-white people. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is how it works. Okay. I want to take you, um, before we move forward, I, I want to take you back one more uh, step. Um, uh, I'm going to take a break, and then we come back. I'd like you to help me on this because it's my understanding that uh, Deridon Foucault uh, came over to the United States, that this was really kind of shaped in frustration from the 1968 Paris uh, riots and in frustration that they're not going to be able to take this whole thing down unless they take it all down. They got to take all the systems down. They're not going to win through culture. Um, and that it was, that it was actually much more strategic in its, um, planting of a virus, if you will. And I'd love to hear your take on that. If that's true or not, when we come back, we're with Helen Pluckrose and we also have to ask her about the greatest prank ever. Uh, they, her and two other scientists went and uh, they spent a year just writing peer-reviewed uh, papers and see if they could get them published. They got seven published and they're complete nonsense. Seven. And what they learned out of that is astonishing and it kind of falls right into this. First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's a Casper mattress. If you want to sleep on a great mattress, get a Casper mattress. It'll help you get a, a great night's sleep. Once you try a Casper, I think you're going to really love it. And if you don't, no big deal. Just send it back. And actually, you just call them or write to them and they come and pick it up. You don't have to worry about it. Casper will ship it right to your front door in this little teeny box. Believe me, you're not going to believe that's your mattress when it comes. Do not open it by the front door. Open it where you want your mattress, because as soon as you open it, it is a full mattress. You're not going to believe how they did this. But from its engineering to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights, this is why Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews on all of their products across Casper, Google, and Amazon. Sleeping on it is the best way to try it out. Sleep on it and test it out yourself for 100 nights in your own home risk-free. Go to Casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn for $50 off the purchase of your select mattresses. That's Casper.com slash Glenn, promo code Glenn. You'll also get $50 off the purchase of the select mattress at Casper.com, promo code Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. From uh, Helen Pluckrose's uh, article, How French Intellectuals Ruined the West. Despite all the evidence that racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia are at an all-time low in Western societies, leftist academics and social justice activists uh, display fatalistic pessimism. This is coming from the postmodernist take. Now, Helen, I've tried to find good purposes for this, and the way it is being enacted now, it just seems like a total, um, uh, I don't know, an embrace of total chaos and destruction. I I can understand why a lot of um, people who are not understanding how this has worked, and particularly uh, conservatives, can see this as completely um, destructive but there, there, there was a good purpose to it there was 
there are good aims to it. I mean, I, I am a liberal, so you and I will probably not agree entirely on, on what good aims are. But mm-hmm. when um, postmodernism, postmodernism arose and the second wave of it, it's very important to sort of focus on the second wave, which, which diversified into critical race theory, intersectionality, queer yeah. theory, etc. That's what we're seeing now, much more than these earlier very obscure ideas about knowledge. But they came at the time following the end of the civil rights movements. They uh, claimed to be the heirs of um, Martin Luther King, a second wave liberal feminism of gay pride. They came and they hit the US and the UK um, particularly because we were in a position of, a sort of, of culturally, of, of P- taking power. stock of what, what had happened um, recently for, for the Brits' empire had just collapsed and we were there was an enormous amount of post-colonial guilt mm-hmm. um, in the u.s um, seeing the end of the jim crow era and sort of reckoning with a history of slavery so society was largely geared towards continuing this very positive sort of civil rights movements and making society freer more equal for for everyone. So Helen, uh, you know, you, you, approach is different, very you, different to that. <laughs> so you said a minute ago, and maybe we just have a different um, uh, definition. Um, I'm a classic liberal, as you, as we would know here in America. I am a uh, I'm a libertarian. Um, I I think that anything that makes man more free is good. Anything that builds the individual up and is uh, is empowering for the individual, I think is is a good thing, and I support it. And I think that many Americans feel this way. You know, with political correctness. You know, I, I go back to handy capable. You know, nobody wanted to say if that really hurt somebody's feelings. That that you know, nobody wants to do that, or very few people want to do that. You know, it it does kind of say, well, the next generation is going to just assume, you know, just going to attach the same meanings behind handy capable as handicapped. But, you know, so it's a little worthless over the long period of time. But I don't think anybody I think generally speaking, people are fair. What this is turned into is uh, oppression. Yes, I mean, I, I think that's something that we have to hold on to, because when if we accept that. Yeah, everybody is generally trying to be fair, is generally trying to be good and and to do good for their societies and they actually care about their fellow human beings, then yes, we have this situation where the vast majority of us are still very much in line with modern principles um, of, of equal opportunity, freedom, rights. And we have to understand that a lot of the people who have taken on and internalized a lot of the postmodern ideas are also uh, trying to do good and trying to be fair. But what we have to look at is how this is working in practice. We are seeing a rising um, authoritarianism, a, um, a totalitarianism from the, from the activists who are drawing on these ideas which have come out of, of these series. I believe that these, this is a small part of the population but it is drawing in more of the, of the left because they want who are kind of internalizing some of these ideas because the ideals are good. The ideals that, that women, people of color, um, 
LGBT should have the same rights as everybody else is what is underlying this and these aims are good. A lot of left liberals who really should know better are thinking, well, well, how bad can this be if they have these aims? It is a problem because it is supremely irrational, it is supremely illiberal, it is taking us away from the progress that we made in the universal liberal um, advance of the civil rights movements and um, equal pay for women, the decriminalisation of homosexuality, etc. It's not continuing that. It's it's really doing something quite different now. So I, I, I want to continue our conversation um, on this and the and the notion that you're you're it's a race to the bottom. You with the intersectionality, you are you're flipping the pyramid it, it, just upside down, but it is still a pyramid. Um, where the the one who has uh, the most uh, you know points, in, I guess, in their favor of I've been abused with this, this, and this, and by these groups and this group and this group, that they become the power. Um, it it sounds like it's it's just not just deconstruction. It is constructing something that is authoritarian in nature. Uh, and I, I want to go there. And I also need to find out a little bit about the hoaxes. That Helen and two other scientists did who were just, they were looking at these peer-reviewed publications and saying, they don't even make sense. I think I could write something that was genuine nonsense and get it published. They had seven published in a year. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Helen Pluckrose uh, is... uh, a scientist in um, in England. She is the editor in chief of Arrow Magazine, and she is a uh, she's an academic uh, in exile now. Um, Helen, I, I yesterday I spent a couple of hours with uh, Dr. Deborah So. Do you know her? Yes, yes, okay. I'm an admirer. So um, we were talking, and she said, you know, Glenn, this is a very small number of people who are actually knowingly engaged in. The silencing and everything else. And you kind of said the same thing, that you think this is a very small minority. But the power structure has changed. It has been flipped on its head. Uh, and and I, I don't understand. Maybe, they, maybe it is a very small number, but they are very powerful um, in, in the effect that they have. You know, otherwise, Deborah So wouldn't have told me that, you know, even tenure couldn't have saved her job had she stayed um you know uh weinstein uh and what happened to him and his his wife i mean it is it's stunning the effect that is happening in our culture and the way the media is not standing for common sense yeah well i i I'd like to address that, but first of all, I just wanted to, to say you've referred to, to me and, and to my um, collaborators a few times as, as scientists, but I, I think it would be... Researchers? Uh, yeah, I, I am a, a literature student, and uh, Peter is a philosopher. James is a mathematician, but he's also engaged in the humanities, so I wouldn't want people to be Thank you. Um, mistaken for Thank you. thinking that we're scientists. But yes, I mean, I think we cannot... Um, over, I mean, we, we do have to have to look at how powerful this narrative is now in certain institutions. I mean, we couldn't, for example, say that it, that it is, um, it is it is powerful over all of, of society. Both your country and mine have both recently voted conservative, 
And I think this is um, partly to do with some fear of this strange yes. narrative rising on the left, which has caused many who were sort of centrist and leaning left to go further right. As, right. as a leftist, I'd like them to come back again. So that, that is why this is, is of, of concern to me. Can I, may, I, may I stop you there and ask you for clarification on something? I, I think, and I'm, I'm not sure, uh, especially over in England, but I think that there is a misunderstanding sometimes with the press. There are bad people who are you know, racist and xenophobes and everything else. But I think that this multiculturalism has taken people to a place to where they are, you know, English are, are proud of, you know, their culture. And, you know, you either like the queen or you don't like the queen. Well, I think most people are like, yeah, it's, you know, it's part of our tradition, but we shouldn't be paying for it. Um, and the, the multiculturalism that has made it uh, racist to even say, yeah, I'm proud to be English. Uh, I'm proud to be American. I, I think that is being taken as racist, where I don't think it's meant as racist by the vast majority of people. They're just proud of who they are and where they came from. Well, I, I, I certainly agree with that. I, I don't see the problem as as multiculturalism itself. I, I'm, I'm in London, and um, and we generally do do quite well with this with um, yeah this different uh, there's a, a great range of, of different cultures and walking through london is is quite um it is quite exciting as you, you go through chinatown and you can go through various different areas there are also yes some um considerable problems with a lack of um, assimilation with with some groups but right what the idea that um it is it is prejudiced to uh, be uh, to, to, to like your own tradition. Yeah. That 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 is a problem, and I don't think it is only um, conservatives who see that as a problem. Right. I, I don't know if you're familiar with, with John Haidt and his Moral Foundations. Yes. Which puts um, this loyalty and this like of tradition yes. on the conservative side. I, I see quite a lot of this on the liberal side too, and I, I think those on the far left who. Um, mistake a liking for one's own traditions and culture um, as a hatred for everybody else's and as a form of racism are actually denying some some pretty um, basic things, pretty core and neutral yeah. and even even positive aims. Yeah. So, so, so c- yeah. can we just spend a couple of minutes on uh, on what you guys did um, uh, uh, to try to get nonsense published and peer reviewed? Uh, and uh, and you and you you know you were hoping maybe to get one, but you got seven in a year, and some of the topics were insane. Which one were you responsible for? Well, I I took a part in all of them. I I was um, I, I took the lead on on one which um, it was called "When the Joke's on You," which was a bit cheeky, but um, <laughs> which argued that there there is no acceptable way to criticize uh, social justice scholarship and activism and that anybody who mocked it or or did a satire of it or or a hoax academic hoax of it was trying to preserve their own um, privilege and that one was accepted quite quickly and and was apparently a uh, an excellent uh, contribution to (laughs) so but you took (laughs) 
You you guys found out that you couldn't just publish nonsense. Exactly. Yes, it, I'm glad it, you pointed that out. Right. It, you 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 actually had to um, uh, join in on the on the grievance club. Is that is that accurate? Yes. You really have to understand and navigate a complex arrangement of of rules. So it isn't. We couldn't say anything that was was crazy, but we had to stay very firmly within orthodoxy and this developing body of theory. So sometimes, yes, we'd take a a mad idea like um, uh, unwanted humping among dogs reveals rape culture in humans, and that we should train men like dogs. And then we'd have to find some way to link this to the theory. In in that case, we looked at um, assumptions about implicit bias and claimed that we could read it in humans in their interactions with dogs. And that was the, the hook that enabled us to build on a lot of theory to support this this claim and for it to be accepted and then honored as exemplary scholarship. Unbelievable. What was the, what was the um, you took Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, and and how much of that text did you leave in, and what did you change? Right, that's quite that's quite difficult to explain. And James took took the lead on that one, so I'm not entirely clear on on what. Um, okay. Uh, anyway, but the important thing to remember is you, if you read it through you would not immediately think but this sounds just like hitler you know it has been changed to, to intersectional feminism that the point of that one was really to to draw on the um the grievance and the totalitarian kind of feel of that but also we wanted to see we wanted to prove that we could make theory fit absolutely anything if we just brought in enough different bits of it so that one is incredibly complicated, bringing in bits of theory from all over the place. But in the end, it, it, it builds up to, to yes, to, to make that kind of we must all bond together in the right. same thing against the common, common enemy um, narrative work. You, when this came out, uh, and I mean, I would think that this would be something that, you know, the uh, uh, the 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 world that you travel in would be outraged that those things were accepted uh and you would you would be viewed as a whistleblower hey wait a minute we've got a problem you got have you have you had any response like that from your peers surprisingly yes we we have good um yeah, we, we were delighted, for example, that um, Mother Jones, which is often um, extremely critical of criticisms of, um, of feminism other and, uh, and sort of academic, academic leftism, actually came down on our side. Um, BuzzFeed uh, remained quite neutral, and they're also often known for... Um, for yeah, the yeah. really uncharitable. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, you know, you see, you say anything with an English accent. It's like a, it's like a, uh, it's 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 like here in the Carolinas. If you ever come down to the Carolinas, they'll say horrible things, but they'll follow it with this tone of "You just want some sweet tea," but they're telling you to leave. Uh, and I think you have the same. The English just have the same the same charm. Uh, it was uh, quite distasteful. 
Um, <laughs> we have we have a uh, a habit of understatement. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, uh, Helen, thank you so much, and we would I would love to fly you in uh, from London and and sit down and and uh, and spend a couple of hours with you and and even your cohorts uh, at some point. I I find you fascinating and refreshing and. Thank you for having the courage to uh, speak out and explain things to, you know, the rest of us schlubs. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. It, it is also unnecessarily complicated. If I can break it down a bit, that, that's, um, that's great. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate it, Helen. Helen Pluckrose. You, you bet. Helen Pluckrose. It is... I'm sorry if, if this is airing in a time zone in the morning and you're like... Good God, Glenn, I haven't even had my coffee. I, I apologize. It is really complex uh, and kind of heady to take, but uh, I wanted to make sure that we um, we got her to speak on record on it, and hopefully we will, on the podcast, have a, a deeper conversation where we can really get into it. But this is something that you need to understand, postmodernism. It is the root of what we are um, uh, feeling now, and it is set to destroy the Western way of, of life and the modern world. You can get a, 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 a very basic understanding of it. It is what we talk about in the book Addicted to Outrage, uh, but uh, not uh, uh, like Helen explains it. I mean, it's a, it's a rookie explanation, but it is one that you can get your arms around addicted to outrage it's available everywhere now critical that you understand and also we're going to be out and about we're going to be in a town near you you can find out at glenbeck.com slash tour and uh Stu, you're coming right i will be there yes yeah. and uh, we're going to be helping we're going to be helping the postmodernists to help them i think so i mean i've been looking there's a big article today about who's running for president for the democrats in 2020 oh yeah uh, really? and who's taking the steps huh. and i think we're gonna have some material on <laughs> some, some of these targets really yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah i think so yeah so i've uh i am I'm, I'm offering my help uh on the tour and we're going to be giving their platform the democratic platform uh we we might even come up with a few slogans for some of these uh <laughs> contenders it's something you don't want to miss glenbeck.com slash tour addicted outrage all right did you see the uh you see the stock market yesterday that a, little, uh, a little terrifying yeah, yeah a little bit yeah. what did gold do yesterday i can't figure out where this money is going <laughs> Yesterday lost 831 points. Today uh, down 149 presently. Uh, Bitcoin, crypto went down. Bonds went down. Where's 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 the money going? Where's the money going? And it does look like it's uh, it's up, but it's just uh, having a problem with the chart. It's definitely up though. I mean, I mean, that's not surprising. This is where money goes when people right. get uncertain, right? Right. When things go uncertain, that's mm-hmm. where money always flies to to gold. Can't find any place else that it went. Um, look, we are headed for uh, troubled times, and this is this is normal and natural. We have kept this thing up with the Fed in an unnatural way. When the, we hit an election, if the Democrats take control of the Congress and uh, you know the House and the Senate, you're in for a wild, wild ride for the next two years, where nothing is going to get done. And uh, chaos will ensue, I believe, financial chaos. Please protect yourself. In fact, right now they have at Goldline, they have a um, uh, uh, packet that they have put together. 
it's a um, uh, research project that they did on what they think the election might mean for the future if it goes to the democrats goes to the republicans what is it going to mean please read this you need this information to make informed choices of where we are and what you're going to do tomorrow 866 goldline get that free information now 866 goldline or goldline.com today uh really appreciate it so uh, can we look at the Senate here a little bit? And yeah, we're going to do a full breakdown of, of everything, of all of the House and Senate today before we leave. Okay, okay. Uh, we can do that. Um, so let me give you just a couple of things then from uh, polling we had over the last couple of days. The polling since the Kavanaugh thing has been really good for Republicans in the Senate. Uh, it's looked really positive. We don't. There hasn't been enough of it to necessarily know that the two, two are tied, but it does seem like um, real positive things have happened in you know, red states uh, where Republicans were a little bit on the ropes at one point. Um, for example, I'll give you a Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz going up against Robert Francis O'Rourke. He's an Irishman. You mean no Beto? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They call, oh, that's right. Beto. Most Irish people are called Beto, so I yeah. should point that out. Right. Um, but Robert Francis O'Rourke is running against Ted Cruz. Some of the polls, there's one poll that had him tied at one point. Um, a, a, several polls showed Cruz only up by one or two. The New York Times is doing something really, really interesting in which, you know, normally you kind of see they're polls. Reporting news. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, they're doing something uh, interesting in that, like, normally you see polls and you see it, like, if you think of it as a, as a sporting event, like, the fo- a football game happens and then you would mm-hmm. see the score afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're not seeing the play-by-play of the mm-hmm. game with a poll. You're only seeing the results at the end. New York Times is trying something this cycle that's different, which is they're actually showing you as they make the calls who is voting for who, and you see the poll build slowly as you watch it. It's addicting to watch, uh, and mm. uh, it's kind of interesting because one of the things you'll notice is how many calls they have to make to get anybody to agree. I, at one point uh, yesterday, um, the Texas Senate poll, they had made 17,700 phone calls and had 285 people who had responded. Oh, my God. That's how hard it is for them to get people on the phone anymore to take these polls, which is is part of the that, reason why it's hard to read, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, who's going to answer that? Yeah. Who's going to do that? But Cruz, in that poll, wound up up uh, nine points in that one. And he seems to have opened, a up, uh, opened up a lead there again, and I'm not surprised by it either. Not a surprise. So we'll get into all the details coming up. Our thoughts and our prayers are with the people of Florida today. Please uh, be safe. Know that we are um, know that we are praying for you. Know that America has your back. Um, your fellow Americans are either there or on their way with help. You are not forgotten. Uh, yesterday, Rick Scott said Hurricane Michael is the worst storm the Florida Panhandle has ever seen. It is. It is the first time a Category 4 or stronger has made landfall on the Florida panhandle. They usually don't whip around like that uh, and and do the kind of dis- destruction that happened yesterday. Over a million power outages are there. And it's not just um, the coast, but it's also inland. Um, the threat to the Carolinas. I want to give you an update some of our partners for Mercury One are already there. Somebody, somebody cares. Setting up a pod hot meal station in Panama City Beach. Uh, they already had that location identified. They're uh, 
setting it up now and going to be feeding people have a second location in Tallahassee in case that's needed. Um, as soon as the assessment is done in South Carolina, we have our network of volunteers. They will be on site. Team Rubicon yesterday was um, trying to get everything tied down uh, in North Carolina because of the heavy rain. They were you know, just cleaning up from the last one due to the timing between Florence and Michael. Uh, and the fact that FEMA has a hold on major supplies right now. Team Rubicon is in need of purchasing Tyvek suits and N95 masks with valves. Uh, both items are used on flood operations to protect all of the volunteers from the muck with the suits and then the mold and the nasty from the, uh, the air. They're having a hard time getting a hold of them. We need... It's about $100,000 worth of these. The actual number is 96000 We are trying to support them, but we really need your help. If you could donate any $5 will help a lot. Please go to mercuryone.org slash hurricane relief. 100% of the proceeds go directly to, for instance, this product, uh, or to buy this product for Team Rubicon or for the people who are feeding or mucking out houses, 100% will go to Hurricane Relief. Just go to mercuryone.org slash hurricane relief. We really need your help and your donations. If you can do that now, it would be much appreciated. It's Thursday, October 11th. This is the Glenbeck program. So I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, yesterday uh, it was a little scary if you had money in the stock market. Uh, what is it? The third largest uh, point fall, I think, in history, American history, something like that. Uh, but, it, you know, when it, when you look at it um, historically, it's kind of unfair because the stock market is up so high. Down again today. Bonds are down. Debt is up. Where is money going? What is happening? Is this the beginning of something or is this just a you know bump in the road? We go to Stephen Moore, uh, economist at the Heritage Foundation. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Glenn. No, I've been better. Uh, this has been a rough uh, couple of three or four days we've had in the stock market. You're right about that. And, and, uh, and so, um, look, but I remain pretty bullish. Um, look, the, the, the Dow is down now to 25,400. It was up... Uh, you know, well over 1,200 points higher than that a week ago. Uh, I, li- I like to buy these dips. But, um, you know, you look at the fundamentals of the U.S. economy with the tax cuts, the deregulations, the high employment. I- I'm, still, I'm still really high on the U.S. economy. I'm still high on the stock market, especially at these low, uh, low prices right now. So what happened yesterday? What, what, <laughs> what spooked it? Well, good question. We're all scratching our head wondering what it was. I mean, uh, Donald Trump seems to think it was the Fed, and there's no question that the Fed interest rate hike uh, and their announcement that they're going to continue to raise interest rates certainly moved people out of stocks into bonds, because when interest rates rise, then bonds are more attractive relatively than stocks. Um, Usually those effects of of, uh, Fed changes are short term, so I don't don't think you're going to see a long-term effect from that. Although I tend to 
agree with Donald Trump that here we've got this booming economy. We don't see real signs of inflation, although energy prices are rising, but other commodities are are pretty stable or or actually falling in price. So I don't see a big inflation gain and I mean, uh, you know, pick up. And what Trump is saying, and I think there's some truth to this, is to the Fed and, and uh, Jer- Jerome Powell, why are you taking the punch bowl away from this party just when it's getting going? And I tend to, I tend to think that he's right about that. You know, look, I don't want inflation, but just because the economy is picking up doesn't mean you're going to have more inflation. I don't think that the Fed's job is to squash a, a stock market rally and a pickup in, in employment, as we've seen in record numbers. Yeah, I would tell I would tell you, Stephen. You know, I'm an inflation watcher and uh, and hyperinflation inflation watcher. Yeah. I was I was really concerned with all the repatriated money that was coming in yeah. and the yep. tax breaks, and we haven't seen it. We have show me the inflation. I mean, look, I would I agree. I have to admit, you know, I I admit when I'm wrong. I'm a, I'm a conservative who admits when I'm wrong. I'm not wrong all that often, but I did predict we'd see higher inflation as a result of you know all the money creation by the Fed. And the truth is, we haven't seen it. Uh, and, and by the way, one of the reasons for that is we have international trade. We have. Um, you know, we have all sorts of technological change that makes goods and services cheaper over time. And that trade and technology are two things that really keep prices down and affordable. And so I, my only point is I just think the Fed acted preemptively and prematurely in raising rates in, in, a, in a way that wasn't necessary. I am a little concerned, by the way, Glenn, about the increase in the price of oil. It's gone up to $80 a barrel. That's, that's like equivalent of $4 a gallon. Yeah. Why? Why is it? Why has it gone up? That's like a tax on the economy. Why has it gone up? You there, Stephen? Stephen, are you there? Yeah, I th- yeah thought maybe I'm sorry, I lost. I didn't hear what you just said. Okay, why? Um, uh, why did? Why, why is oil going up? Uh, well, that's a good question too. Uh, it looks like because there's been disruptions in the um, in the Middle East with respect to Iraq, and so you're seeing a big um, you know a big sell off as a result. I mean, a big rise in the price because people are really concerned about the uh, you know about the price uh, in the, the global reduction in supply as a result of so that. So bring Texas back price. online. Bring Texas um, back. Bring Texas back online. Well, that's the point. You know, I'm, look, I think oil prices are going to fall. I just was out in Midland, Texas, in the middle of the Permian Basin. I've never seen anything like it, Glenn. I mean, everywhere I you go, all they're doing is drilling, 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 drilling. And, you know, it's, it's uh, anywhere you can stick a stick in the ground, they're drilling for oil and natural gas. So I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a continuation, you know, over the next year or so of these higher prices. In fact, oh, I think they're going to dwindle back down again. So, you know, I think that the, the big problem right now is just fear. You know this. The stock market is driven by fear and greed. Right? That's a truism for 150 years, and people are afraid right now. That uh, and, and by the way, there was a lot of profit-taking. I did this myself. When the Dow hit 26,500, I said to my wife, honey, let's, let's take some of these profits and, and get out of the market. And I think a lot of people did that. Stephen, let me, um, let me ask you this. I don't know if this is true or this is an old wives' tale, but the last president that i heard really take on the fed <laughs> was ronald reagan and yep. we had 19 percent interest rates right shortly after that until he stopped talking about the fed when and the fed has a lot of control i mean and and, right. and you know a lot of people say it's 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 uh 
you know, somehow some kind of a violation for the president to question the Fed. And I wrote a column on this last week. I don't know why. The president is the chief executive officer of the country, right? He is the one who is supposed to help manage our economy. If he doesn't think the Fed is doing the right thing, why shouldn't he speak out? Um, now, look, I don't want to see a politicization of the Fed. Correct. But I, I think there's a lot of that. Look, one of the lessons we've learned, Glenn, you and I have talked about this over the years. The, these are not some kind of oracles on high at the Fed. They act as if they're the temple with all of the knowledge and all of the intelligence, but they've made so many mistakes over the oh, years. Yeah. You mentioned, I remember the 70s, as you do, when we had literally 20% mortgage interest rates. That was all because of Fed mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would make the same case that the Fed, you know, was the one that built up this bubble that led to the housing crisis in 2007 oh, and 8. Oh, yeah. Why do we keep thinking these people are somehow like godlike? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Let me ask you um, about the uh, the NAFTA replacement uh, and and also the the trade war that we have going on with with China. I, I, I fear that Donald Trump really likes uh, trade wars uh, and we're not that this isn't a negotiation tactic. If it is, you know, great. But do you think is it, Stephen? Or is this what he really fundamentally believes, that tariffs are good? Here's my view. Uh, and I've talked to Donald Trump many times about this, you know, and he, he said this at the Rose Garden. I was at his Rose Garden ceremony last week when he announced the new trade agreement. And he basically said, look, I will um, I will um, I am using these tariffs as a tool as a negotiating tactic to get better trade agreements. Now, I'm a free trade guy. I think you are too, Glenn. So I I used to tell Donald Trump, I don't agree with you on your trade strategy, but I got to say, so far, you know, the the kind of apocalyptic view has not happened. Trump is getting some good deals. He got a deal with Mexico. He played Canada like a fiddle here, where he basically said, you know, we're just going to go ahead without you with Mexico. And Canada at the 11th hour, literally 11 o'clock on the night before the the deal had to be sealed, Canada came and said, okay, we agree to the deal. He's going to get a good deal, I think, with Europe. And then that leads to Canada, I mean, to China. And this is where I think Trump is going to take a very hard line uh, and I happen to agree with that. I don't know. You and I haven't talked about this, Glenn, but I am a hardliner when it comes to China. I'm a free trade guy, but China, we don't have free trade with China. China's cheating. They're stealing. They're, you know, $300 billion a year intellectual property. They're building up their military. They're like, you know, the old Soviet Union in terms yeah. of a lot of the tactics they're using. Yeah. And so I do think Trump should get tough with China. What, what do you think? Uh, I think so, too. I just want to make sure that we understand the uh, symbiotic relationship of mutually assured economic destruction uh, when it comes to China. That well, we... let me challenge you on that one. Right. Uh, you know, I'm going to, of course, a trade war would hurt us. But I think the way Trump looks at it, and I think he's right about this. Look, if we can't trade with China, we sneeze. If they can't trade with us, they catch pneumonia. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, they can't, their, their economy depends on access to America's $15 trillion consumer market. I mean, damn near everything you buy in Walmart yeah. is, made in, uh, is made in China. And so Trump is playing that card and saying, look, we're not going to give you unfettered access to our markets if you're not going to play by the rules. I talk to companies, CEOs all the time, Glenn, who basically say it's almost impossible to penetrate the China market. Mm-hmm. You've got to give up ownership of your company. You have to give up your trade secrets, mm-hmm. your patents. I mean, we can't live with that. And right. Trump is right, I think, right. when he says, look, I didn't start this trade deal, this trade war. They started it 10 years ago. I would feel better if we also weren't, if they also weren't our bank at the same time. I would feel better about it. 
Hey, Stephen, quickly, one quick question for you, and you probably have a yeah. real insight on this. Uh, the, the, we were kind of talked about the steel tariffs and these things going on, allies, uh, like Canada, and, and as a way of uh, negotiating and bringing these countries yeah. to the table for what was kind of like a, re, a NAFTA 2.0 type of situation. Yep. Well, that happened, but the steel tariffs are still on Canada. Do you have any idea why, or is this going to change at any point? Well, this is one of the issues that I find, my, you know, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Donald Trump, I hope, right, the tax plan with my buddy Larry Kudlow. So, mm-hmm. But I, I just disagree with this policy. I don't see the wisdom in steel and auto and aluminum tariffs or auto tariffs, but especially not steel and aluminum, because, you know, we have something like 100,000 mm-hmm. Americans who are employed in steel and auto, but we've got 6 million other manufacturers who use steel and aluminum in what they produce. I was over at Anheuser-Busch a couple of weeks ago. They, you know, when they make... Uh, they you know, Budweiser's, they're using a lot of aluminum for those cans, and they say their prices are going up, and you just that's going on around the country. Our auto producers, our autos are more expensive because of the steel tariffs. So my point to Trump is this isn't even creating factory jobs. We're going to lose factory jobs as a result of this. So I disagree very strongly with the steel and aluminum tariffs. I think they do more harm than good. Does he look like he's softening? No. Do you think? I don't see it. I don't see it either. It's kind of an evergreen response to that question, isn't it? No, he's not. Yeah, no. And I I, At the the Rose Garden last week, he said how uh, he was boasting about how all the steel jobs we're creating. It's true. We are creating steel jobs, Mr. President, but we're losing auto jobs. We're losing, you know, jobs in in other areas that manufacture equipment, trucks, and things, you know, those kinds of things that use steel and aluminum. So it's it's a dumb policy. I wish we would reverse it. And by the way, the auto tariffs, same thing. Even the U.S. auto industry doesn't want the auto tariffs because yeah. they, you know, so many of their supplies come from you know uh, countries abroad. You know, it was, it was manufactured. You know, so the steel might have come from uh, you know Canada. The the assembly might have come from Mexico. The the parts might have come from Taiwan. I mean, this is this is the modern American and global economy at work, and, and we put our, ourselves at risk here. But at the end of the day, I think Trump is going to prevail on China. I think I'll make a prediction within six months. I think China is going to come hand in hand and make some real concessions to, to uh, Trump. And uh, and ultimately, if that happens, that you're going to see the biggest stock market boom you ever saw. Stephen Moore, thank you so much. Good to talk to you, my friend. Say hi to Larry. How's he feeling? How's Larry Kudlow? Larry is the picture of health, and he's even stopped smoking. That is oh, wow. good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Make sure you say hi to him for me, will you? All right, will do. All right, Stephen Moore uh, from the Heritage Foundation. Sponsor this half hour is my Patriot Supply. So I have been thinking and praying about the people in uh, Florida and all of the devastation in this country that we have had over the last couple of years, you know, between fires and, and natural disasters. By the way, did you see... Did you see the report on NBC yesterday where they were talking about, we can't call these natural disasters anymore because this is a man-made disaster. Oh, jeez. Are you kidding me? No. We we went over this yesterday on the news and why it matters. I know we did. Read the IPCC report about what they say about hurricanes. It's basically nothing. I have to send you this Mm because it it was so agonizing. These are not natural disasters. Hurricanes are not natural disasters anymore. Can't take it. It is crazy. Anyway. How how are these people affording, you know, to go live someplace? Their house has been devastated. They they, uh, you know, are going to have to, you know, put everything into getting their lives back. How are they going to do that? Plus rent a hotel, plus feed their family. Best thing you can do is be prepared yourself. 
preparewithglenn.com right now. You can have two weeks of food, two weeks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for $75. You take your family out for a dinner and it's $75. This is two weeks of food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Get one for each of your family members. They're easy. They they float. Uh, they also come in a uh, in a in a you know a, a, a box that is easy to store. Preparewithglenn.com. Please go there now. Preparewithglenn.com or 800-200-7163. 800-200-7163. Glad you're here. Let me go to Jerome in Ohio. Hello, Jerome. You're on the Glenn Beck program. Hey, Glenn. How's it going, man? Good. Well, um, the uh, I don't want to say his name, but the, the gentleman that you got into with it yesterday, yes, um, and stuff. That was me three years ago. I was I was ready to I was ready to fight. I was ready to punch. Ready to stomp. You know the the whole yeah. nine yards. Yeah. And then uh, um, I <clears throat> sorry I found hope. And uh, my uh, <clears throat> sorry my uh, my daughter was born. She was born uh, four months early, and uh, I uh, my focus went from everything going on around the world to what was going on in my house, my household, and and uh, it was uh, <clears throat> sorry, it was uh, challenging. Um, we were she was she was born November first, and she was in the hospital until until Easter. And she came home, and she had a G-tube, and um, she was on oxygen, stuff like that, but she was home. Um, I am remarried, and uh, me and my wife, we have, between us, we had three three daughters, and we tried for about 10 years, and nothing ever happened. And then uh, out of the blue, wife calls me and says, uh, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> and uh, she told me that um, that she was pregnant. And uh, it's, I don't know, I, I sympathize with the, the, the gentleman you, you, you were talking with um, because I, I still have moments to where I want to get angry and stuff, but then I'd stop and take a step back and breathe and just think of, think of my daughter, you know? So did you think, did you gain, gain hope or did you gain perspective? Yes. <laughs> uh, both. I gained both. Yeah. Um, I, it's just... I, I had hope because I want I want a better world for my daughter. Yeah, you know, and uh, the the great uh, Jerome. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for um, thanks for your honesty of emotion there. Um, the the good thing is, and this is what I tried to um, impress on our caller yesterday after um, he hung up, unfortunately, was we're winning. We're winning. Common sense is winning. It doesn't feel like it, but that's just because the power structure that you are used to is no more. And when you look at what's happened and you look at the Democrats saying the things that they're saying now that, you know, Eric, Eric Holder today, the latest is, you know, when they go low, we kick them. That that's that's not an American principle. That's not the way we should behave. I don't want that from our side. I don't think people want it from their side. New research shows 80% of the American people feel the same way. That's a good thing. We're winning. Mercury. 
We have more on Florida coming up in just a second. Can we take a look at uh, also the uh, uh, the election numbers? I think it's about time we start getting, you know, your analysis, Stu, because I know you love stats and there's nobody better looking at the numbers than you. Thank you. The polls are hitting and they're coming in fast. And uh, yes, there's a lot to uh, to understand about where that's going. We can definitely get into that. Um, should we start there or do you want to start with uh, some of the hurricane stuff? Um, well, I don't know if I want to talk to uh, somebody who uh, cannot agree with NBC News that these are <laughs> not natural disasters. These are man-made disasters now. So was it man-made that we went an entire decade basically without getting one hurricane hitting the... Let me ask you something about that, sir. Yes. Uh, would you agree with me that over the last 10 years, in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. we have seen a dramatic increase in hurricanes here in the united states since we dropped out of the paris accords yes or no sir it is a yes or no answer you're saying has it gone from zero to two in the time that i mean since we've been out of that uh is that an increase sir i mean yeah the trend is not increasing that we we have one year that had more than another year is that what you're trying because we had i'm asking you in the last 10 years Mm. have we seen a pickup (laughs) of these Mm. these so-called natural disasters I want to just th- in the last couple of years. Thank you for your question, NBC. Yeah, uh, there has been an increase from all of the years. Of Thank zero. you very much. Now, Wait, let's no, but- go. talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's journalism these days. It is. Here's what the IPCC says. Remember, this is Al Gore's uh, favorite place to go for climate mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what they say about hurricanes. Numerous studies towards and beyond the fifth assessment report of the IRC, uh, IPCC have reported a D D D D decreasing trend in the global number of tropical cyclones and or the global globally accumulated cyclonic energy there's low confidence regarding changes in global tropical cyclone numbers under global warming over the past four decades there is consequently low confidence in the larger number of studies reporting increasing trends in the global number of very intense cyclones. this is the unipcc mm-hmm. yeah. report the latest the latest uh, update to bring it out of a uh, boring un talk what they're saying is total number of uh, hurricanes going down and there is low confidence in any change in the um, increase. Like what they say is like, well, because they used to say there's going to be more frequent and intense hurricanes. Then they realized that the frequency thing wasn't happening. They're, it's going to be more intense. They don't even have evidence of that. And so, that's, excuse me, Mr. Brigier, yeah, yes. is this not the strongest storm uh, on record that has hit that, the Florida panhandle. That is the report. Thank yes. you, sir. I, I rest my case. <laughs> Here's the summary. Uh, the IPCC once again reports that there is little basis for claiming that drought, floods, hurricanes, and tornadoes have increased, much less increased due to uh, greenhouse gases. Not exactly the story you're getting on the media when they're trying to say... We have 10 years now. We have 10 they've years renewed this. They've They've... They've upped their commitment, and in response, I tell them, up yours. <laughs> so uh, it is uh, pretty remarkable. Okay, let me, let me ask you uh, this as we get into the poll numbers. Mm-hmm. I believe there is a chance we see a red wave because of Kavanaugh. That we were concerned mm-hmm. that there would be this massive blue, blue wave in both the House and the Senate, I think we see a red wave, not a tidal wave, but a red wave. It's possible. First of all, I would say Kavanaugh, if 
if the last two years have been any indication, Kavanaugh will be ancient history by the time this election happens. It's like three weeks from now. <laughs> like these things go away. For example, uh, the the Access Hollywood tape happened right about this time in 2016. Right about mm. now. It was October 8th or 9th. It's October mm. 11th today. Uh, and that, by the time the election came, as we saw, had basically no impact. Old time news. It, it, I mean, this stuff goes away fast, and I think there will. I be... don't think this is because because it's not just Kavanaugh. If they would have yeah. left it alone, lick their wounds, but they're not. They're doubling down. Hillary Clinton yesterday. We can't live with these people. Um, uh, Eric Holder comes out. That's the news today. That he says when when they go low, we kick them. And the crowd cheers and this and he follows it with this is who the new Democratic Party is. It's amazing. It's amazing. Michelle Obama pushed back on that today, by the way, kind of in an interesting way. Um, But, you know, what you see, I think, is if you are under control, you can make these stories go away. Their craziness in the Kavanaugh thing could probably be forgotten by a lot of voters. If you would look at from the time that Donald Trump came down to the escalator to today, probably his cleanest month was October of yes. 2016. After that that uh, tape came out, he was buttoned up for the rest of that time and made very few statements and wound up winning the election mm-hmm. um, because people were able to kind of forget mm-hmm. about, you know, sort of this craziness and scandals that were going on and looked more at Hillary Clinton and her craziness and scandals. Um, so if you look at this, it, they they could get it to go away. Doing things like we're going to kick them when, they're, when they go low uh, and, uh, you know, People saying, it's not a mob. What are you talking about? That sort of stuff is not going to help them. Nope. Um, And so far, since the Kavanaugh thing, what we've seen is really encouraging numbers for the GOP, particularly in the Senate. The Senate has, uh, you know, we had a lot of races. We talked about the um, Robert Francis O'Rourke versus uh, Ted Cruz situation, where Cruz, uh, that poll came out at 52-43, a nine-point lead. Now, Cruz had been, there was one poll, I think, that had them tied. A few, most of them settled around three or four points with Cruz leading. Um, that's expanded in multiple polls now to nine be, and ten points. I think it's be more than nine or ten points. Yeah, but Pat Gray, who uh, who's uh, not in here with us today, but he was talking on his show. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Believes that it's uh, going to be over ten points. Yeah, I over think it'll be. Points. I think it'll be between fourteen and eighteen points. Another interesting poll that came out yesterday, again from the New York Times, and this is you know they're doing this live polling thing I mentioned last hour. How many calls does it take to get 778 responses in Texas? How many calls do you have to make to get 778 people to talk on the phone to you? The number, 51,192. Oh, my gosh. They had to call 51,000 people to get 778 to actually participate in the poll, which is incredible. Well, you're calling Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's marked with a New York number or <laughs> the New York Times, I understand that. Uh, but I mean, it's this is this I, is overall the, like for example, yeah. New York. They did they also pulled the uh, Eastern Long Island District, New York one, uh, and what they found uh, five hundred and two responses. They had to make twenty seven thousand one hundred seventy eight. Crazy. Calls. Are you answering seriously? Do you know anybody that would take the time to answer that? Nobody does, and that's yeah, why I wouldn't. It, you know, again, if you take into account that factor, which is totally changed over the last 20 years with cell phones and and uh, telemarketers and all those things. It's amazing these guys get even close to accurate results from polls because you're self-selecting a group of people who want to participate in them and it's uh, you know who knows if they're representative. That's of the why public. Google Home should include some sort of an fMRI 
mm-hmm. they can just read our brain <laughs> scan. That would make it a lot easier. <laughs> it would make it a lot easier. Things would just it? come to your door that yeah. you, you wanted. Yeah. I love that. Um, another interesting poll that came out of the New York Times, though, however, uh, was uh, the test of the Taylor Swift effect. Remember, Taylor <laughs> Swift, after all these uh, all this time being silent on, on politics, decided to dive into it inexplicably with a ridiculously so foolish you know again like you almost feel like with her pr team if you're going to come out and do this at least have like sensible observations and don't be just bumper sticker you know uh you know quote tweeting huffington post right like that was the level of analysis she provided in her little post but again she's one of the biggest celebrities in the world how does this happen Uh, she's from you know tennessee she came out in a tennessee race the biggest thing that she talked about was marsha blackburn saying how anti-women she was and and how she didn't care about she wanted to keep gays out of stores and all these ridiculous things that aren't true um well the first poll has come out since that um and it, 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 uh, most of the calls were uh, after that. Uh, 54 to 40, Blackburn leads. 14 points. This was a race that was in the toss-up category. Wow. Now, if that polling holds, I can think we could sa- uh, safely uh, understand that more people care about what Kanye West thinks about politics than Taylor Swift. Uh, but we'll see if that holds or not. So we could look at senate possibly a red wave in the senate yeah i think you know so we talked about this a little while ago to which makes sense people know that's where the supreme court is happening and also people are in red states right and they're going to become more excited to vote more passionate about voting the 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 house we're seeing sort of a, a slight turn to the opposite effect where purple districts um sometimes it has been tilting a little, a little bit blue a little more blue not much to tell from it. I think already the House is in real, real danger. I mean, I, it would be a surprise at this point if the Republicans were able to pull out the House. Not impossible. It would be a surprise. Mm. Um, uh, but for the Senate, real quick, we had 10 toss-up races that we were talking about before. Um, and I believe it was three or four that the the Republicans had to win to control the Senate. I think it was three. They had to win three of the 10. At the time we talked about it, the Ted Cruz race, which in which he was favored by only three points, was the best Case. best case right now that's changed dramatically since we talked about that a couple of weeks ago now um uh ted cruz seems to be on solid ground uh and more than a three-point lead uh heidi heidkamp seems to be in massive danger i would say it looks like two races were decided with the kavanaugh hearings barring some other ma- major development uh heidi heidkamp voted against him she looks like she's toast in north in north dakota now uh, joe manchin voted for Kavanaugh, he looks like he's safe. So those two races are not even in the toss-up category anymore, in my mind. Uh, that le- and neither really is the Cruz one, which gets you down to about seven toss-ups, which the Republicans need to win one. One of the seven will keep the Senate uh, in Republican hands. This is a much improved situation from even when it was just a couple of weeks ago. The Kavanaugh thing, I think, is a big part of it. Uh, we don't know that for sure yet. I think it'll play out in the next week or so when we really have a lot of results. But it looks very promising in the Senate, better than it's looked probably all year. Uh, so that's a that's a good thing if you care about that. So let me ask. Let me let me explain something. Uh, this election could mean that I know I know technically we have three branches of government, but I believe we kind of had five. We have the press and the people. Okay, mm-hmm. five executive, legislative. Um, and uh, judicial are the three in the Constitution. Then you have the fourth, which is the press and the people. I believe what happens in this election could put all five branches into chaos. If they win the House, 
the House will go nuts and they will impeach. They will subpoena, which those subpoenas will go to the Senate. The Senate will be in chaos because of it, because of the Democrats. They will put the administrative in chaos because it will be under impeachment and it will also uh, have testimony that it has to give that it will fight. They're going to subpoena his tax records. He will fight that, which will go into the Supreme Court, which the people will rise up and destabilize the fifth branch, if you will. The people as they stand up and they're starting to fight kind of back and forth in the streets you know not in a mob sort of way Mm -hmm. just in an antifa sort of way they will the house will then again i think try to impeach kavanaugh or at least get him to recuse himself from anything having to do with the administration you watch it and the and the press is already in chaos all every piece of society could be in chaos based on this election. It's going to be a fun couple of years, isn't it? It's going to be a fun yeah. couple of years. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Will you uh, give us a quick report maybe every day here as things start to change? Yeah. Uh, and uh, give us a, a look on on the polls. I'd also like you to summarize the polls that I gave this morning on the people about the, you know, what is it? 8% of the people are progressive hardliners. 29% are uh, conservative hardliners, and the rest are are being called uh, the, uh, what was it, the burned out uh, core or the, uh, the, mm. the tired core. The people that are in the middle saying, I don't want to be a part of either of these. It's, it's pretty remarkable, and I think good news. It's All right. Exhausted majority. Exhausted doing, majority. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Heads up. Hackers exploited security vulnerabilities at Facebook. 50 million accounts uh, have been put into jeopardy. But it's only 50 million. That's it. All right. They have digital keys. Now, bad guys have digital keys that keep you locked in so you don't have to reenter your password every time. Facebook says they fixed this vulnerability. They've informed law enforcement. Have you been informed? lifelock.com they are on the job looking for the things that you might miss things that you will only see when there is trouble lifelock also has uh not just identity theft protection but now adding the power of norton security now norton is protecting you against the uh, threats to your devices so you have identity and now your devices too nobody can stop all cyber threats prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses but the new lifelock with norton security can see the threats that you might miss on your own so go to lifelock.com or call 1-800 lifelock use the promo code beck get an extra 10 percent off your first year plus 25 dollar gift certificate from amazon for annual enrollment that is promo code beck terms uh do apply uh you uh you go there Right now, use the promo code back at lifelock.com. Glenn Beck. Tonight on TV. No catastrophe is too catastrophic. No apocalypse is too apocalyptic. No sports questions are too... Be answered. I don't know what's going on here. Glenn takes your calls live on the air. The show starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, so get in line a little early at 888-727-BECK. Only on The Blaze. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the program. Uh, Tonight on the TV show, uh, we've got a lot 
to uh, cover. We're going to uh, take your phone calls. You can ask anything, talk about anything. And if you uh, get on the air, we are going to send you a free autograph book, which look at it this way. It's free. So just call, make something up. Doesn't matter what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. We autograph it, which does devalue the price of the book. A little, you know, it sales bit, yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you can tear that page out and then you bring it to a thrift store and get like two bucks for it. And then so, you can, you, can you, you do that a few times. You'll have enough for a monthly subscription, right. and then you're, <laughs> Wait, then you can just keep calling, keep calling, and get. Oh my more god, books. this is like a free this, money printing this. machine. <laughs> We've discovered it. Right. Ask uh, ask whatever's on your mind. Talk about whatever's on your mind. What we have missed. What we have wrong. Eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. Tonight, Facebook and the Blaze live. Call in about four thirty uh, Central Time. Back. Mercury. Eastern Diamond.